And now Jesus is a dying man on the cross. And, um, you know, the whole idea of when you know you're close to death, um, you're not going to just start talking about the weather or, um, you know, ask what the score of the match was, you know. You're going to choose your words carefully. And this is where the seven sayings of the cross come. Um, um, Jesus has some last and final things to say as a man, um, the God-man, Christ Jesus, you know. And um, he, he says some certain things. And he doesn't leave anything unsaid, you know. And I think that's really amazing. You know, um, sometimes, I have here, sometimes the greatest heartbreak between the dead and the living are things left unsaid, you know. Um, Bruce Fry has a song about it or whatever, he writes his dad a letter and he doesn't get to deliver it because his dad passes away and now he's got all these things that he wanted to say that he didn't say and it's a sad song, you know. But um, of course Jesus being the greatest man that ever lived even though he died a criminal's death, he died most honorably and um, he left nothing unsaid, which I think is really, really profound. Um, so we're going to look at a few of those things, basically just going to be a list, you know, fancy PowerPoint really. Seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Number one, we're in Luke 23. All right, um, let me just make sure. Okay. Luke 23, 34. So I don't know are these in order. I can't remember. I think they are. But um, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Okay, so, um, you know, This is like he's saying, Father, forgive them. And this is his goal in going to the cross. Um, I have another scripture here that says Matthew 20. Um, I should know it, but I don't. Um, it says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. You know, so we sing at Christmas, he was born for this. He was born to die. He was born that he might go to the cross, that he might bear the sins of the whole world. Okay? And um, this is his... His, his prayer for forgiveness, not that this is the point when everybody gets forgiveness or anything now, but it's, that's his desire, his heart's desire that forgiveness might be accomplished, you know. And um, it was prophesied long ago, obviously. Um, I have Isaiah 53. We'll, we'll turn to the scriptures. I'm not going to gloss over stuff tonight. You guys are, you know, um, the, uh, the patient bunch, let's say, so we could go to lots of scriptures. I like some of these um, references to Jesus in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 12. You know, they, they say, you know, if people needed a new uh, political leader, you know, God would have sent a political leader, or if people needed a new, you know, um, financial measures and uh, budgets to be fixed all over the world or whatever, God would have sent some sort of financier or something like that, you know. But the greatest need that people had was forgiveness. And therefore, Jesus came to die on a cross that our sins might be paid for. So here it says in Isaiah 53, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, there's the prophecy, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So um, this is saying here, um, when was Isaiah again? It was like 600 BC, where's Barry when you need him? <laughs> um, uh, so this is long before, obviously, um, uh, Isaiah 53, 12, before any of this stuff came to pass, and therefore it's a prophecy, God speaking of the future. And we know that these things aren't corrupt, um, partly because we just believe God, that he says he'll preserve his word. But obviously the greatest example 
And for Isaiah, you could give as mentioning the Dead Sea Scrolls. So um, do you remember Pastor mentioned that? He said the earliest copy they had was the 10th century. He said that a couple of weeks ago. Um, a Torah, a scripture, you know, um, of Isaiah, an original or whatever the word was. But when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it went way back to, was it the first or second century? I can't remember now. Um, and it was word for word intact, you know. And so I don't think we need to worry about, about the preservation of scriptures in that sense. Okay. So he, gave, he, he provided what everyone needed when he went to the cross. Everyone needed forgiveness, okay? And a lot of the time, um, um, even though it's our greatest need, it's something that we don't want because we want something else in our, in our sinful heart, in our, in our nature, and in our way, you know? Um, the people didn't know that they were crucifying God in the flesh. First um, Timothy for that one, one thirteen. But they did, they did know that they were hurting him. And um, they, didn't, they didn't care. You know, you know, in a sort of idea, the Bible says, um, we love him because he first loved us. And it, it's when you get that glimpse of the fact that um, just of how guilty you are, you know, um, I think about uh, when dad got saved, um, that's, dad basically brought the gospel into the home. I don't think anyone ever gave us a clear, I, I used to go to Ennis Evangelical when I was visiting my cousins up in Ennis. But they were never, unless I wasn't listening, I could give them that. Um, they were never really specific in saying A plus B plus C plus D, this is the gospel, or, you know, um, in that sort of sense, and trying to explain it and, and reach out to someone in that sort of sense. But, um, you know, when Dad came home, then all of a sudden there were all the, I've probably told you all before, but all these tracks like Bad Bob, this chick track called Bad Bob, I don't know if you've read it. Um, obviously, that's when I remember as things, I always bring it up first. But there were other tracks, and that was um, just talking to us, and he'd start conversations, um, you know, at the breakfast table before I was going to college and things like that. And um, I wasn't all that interested, really, you know. And um, to be honest, we, we had our arguments and things like that, and I just didn't want to hear it. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about something else. I had better things to do, you know. And Dad asked me, did I want to go to church? And I was like, no, I'll be in bed, you know. <laughs> it was kind of stuff. And it was just totally beyond what I ever thought that I needed, what it really was what I needed the most. I needed forgiveness. I needed salvation. I needed redemption. I needed to be separated from, from my sin in that sort of sense. Um, I needed to be clean on the inside. And that's, this is what Jesus brought. Um, um, and he, it's just amazing. I'm just going over all these truths. You probably know them all already. But despite, you know, it's amazing to think back. You know, that's why it says we love him before, because he first loved us. He loves us in our sinful state. I was kind of talking about that. That's a picture or a shadow of why friends are so special to us, because it's a Christ-like feature. You know, um, anything that has a real biblical shadow or illustration in, in our life that's honorable, it's always got a biblical truth behind it, you know? Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, because that's God's creation, and that's Christ and the church, and that's amazing. That's um, a biblical picture, and that's why it's so amazing to us. And we don't even know, we might even love the Bible, but we can point to that and say, that's right. There's something um, different about that. You know, that's not just boyfriend-girlfriend stuff or whatever. That's, that's the way it should be. And it's safe for everybody. You know, that kind of idea. It's good for the children. It's good for blah, blah, blah. So um, in this sense, then, um, we see that um, God loved us so much, even when we were, he was the farthest from our thoughts. And, <laughs> and we were doing the things that we were doing. Um, Erica was about some of the stories he had as well after I, told some embarrassing stories this morning about when I was unsaved and getting influenced by friends. Um, you know, we, we, we know what we're like in that sort of sense, or more than we're willing to admit. 
and Jesus loves us anyway. It's amazing, you know, what a savior. So um, he has this prayer of forgiveness here. And um, at no point did he ever back off and think that you weren't worth it, you know. He wasn't like, you know, I guess I'll do this or whatever. Or, oh man, you know, you're pretty wicked, but I guess I'll go to the cross and, you know, it'll be for me. Or No, you know, he, he was wholehearted in it. And he was full of love. And there wasn't any other thought, like, you know, in that sort of sense, like a human would have, you know, we might want to do something or only go so far for someone because we only love them that much or whatever. But God so loved the world, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and then, you know, like I was talking about my arguments with dad or whatever, um, the people didn't feel loved, you know, with Jesus dying on the cross, you know, and when you speak the gospel to people, a lot of times they don't feel loved, they feel upset, <laughs> they feel bothered. You know, um, uh, I think I have a verse for that. Uh, which one will I go to? Ephesians. Try Ephesians here. Keep you guys active. Oh, yeah, okay. We use this phrase a lot or whatever, but um, this is where it is in the Bible, I guess. <laughs> um, Ephesians 4.15 says... Um, Speaking the truth in love, it's talking about, um, you know, um, uh, being, I guess, with Christ or one with Christ, um, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I was talking about the church and stuff. Okay, but, um, you know, we use that word, uh, uh, the whole phrase, speaking the truth in love a lot. And, and Jesus spoke the truth and stuff like that, and he spoke it with love. But as I said, you know, obviously everyone doesn't always, everyone always doesn't think that way or whatever when you're, you're, um, when you're talking to them, you know, and that's why it says in Proverbs as well, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So um, I have another saying here, I don't have who said it or whatever, but it says only the brave know how to forgive. A coward never forgives, it's not in his nature. Okay, so it does take some courage to forgive, if you understand what I mean. A lot of people, they think that it's not worth it or not worth them. Um, you know, humbling themselves over it or things like that, it has a cost. Um, so someone with courage, someone with bravery, is someone who's willing to forgive someone who's hurt them. Um, and that's our Lord, of course. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, he's bold as a lion, he's, he's the bravest of the brave, okay? Um, and he's the, it's, I have another phrase here, it says sometimes the greatest conqueror is he who over, overcomes the enemy without a blow, you know? So, um, yeah, uh, one of our missionaries, uh, Stuart Harvey, he, he was like a prison officer. And um, that's like real intense, you know. So he was telling us about their policy. He says, they say, it's better to talk down than to take down. <laughs> he's so hard, he reminds me of Jason Statham. But, um, <laughs> um, so he's like, you talk to them first and you're trying to de-escalate the situation. You've got these murderers and all sorts of people in the prison. And you have to go in and deal with the situation, you know. No one else is going to do it. And the whole policy is you try and talk them down first before you have to manhandle them. Or <laughs> um, so in that sort of sense, you know, um, the greatest conqueror is he who overcomes. You know, remember in the Bible, the less um, funny version of the story is um, that, that wise, was it a wise woman or a wise man that uh, delivered the city with her or his wisdom? Um, and, you know, so the head came flying over a wall there. I don't know what happened in that situation. It's in Kings or somewhere there. All right. So um, one last thing, and we'll move on to the next point, is you know Jesus has a prayer of forgiveness. That means he didn't die with unforgiveness in his heart. 
I, I think that's pretty deep because, you know, a lot of us would want to hold on to things. And the Bible says, you know, if you've ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and make right with your brother first and then come back and offer your gift unto the Lord. Okay? And, um, you know, there's other verses that say, you know, you don't love your brother or you don't have the love of God in you, you know, because, um, um, you know, I, I forget how it goes. And that's First John, if you read that one. Okay? So our... We should follow Jesus' example in this case. And obviously, um, you know, he says in the Sermon on the Mount or in Matthew that we need to forgive because we've been forgiven. But also, you know, sometimes we just really want to hold on to stuff. You know, people can be close to us. There could be family stuff that, you know, these stories that people say where um, these persons butted heads over something, their family, their aunts and uncles and things that are cousins, and now they won't talk. And at Christmas dinner, they don't come, you know, or something like that because they've got this thing and they can't forgive one another. Okay? You shouldn't go to the grave with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? And Jesus didn't. And obviously, he's our example we need to follow. And so the, the challenge is not to leave anything unsaid to those that you love um, and to those that you don't love either. Love your enemies, right? <laughs> um, so that's the first saying of Jesus, is a prayer of forgiveness. Um, so I'll push on from there. Second one is a word of comfort. So now we're turning to John 19. As you can see, we don't get them all from one gospel. They say Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar gospels, synoptic. And then John is all out on his own for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> so John 19 records, or John in general records all sorts of stuff that the other three gospels don't. Uh, very interesting. John 19 and verse 26. So this is a word of comfort. So we've done a prayer of forgiveness, now a word of comfort. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, guess who that is? He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his home. So um, just, I guess the first point I have here is notice the intense compassion Jesus had for his own. Um, you know, the Bible says, you know, that we need to, I forget where it says that we need to prefer one another. You know, um, Pastor was always trying to get the culture of, you know, um, we all have these kind of sub-cultures in a church, especially when there's different nationalities. There's the whole Filipino thing going on, and they love food and all that kind of stuff, you know. And then there's the South Africans, they also love food, but they say brai and all this kind of stuff, you know. And then... Um, you know, Eric has this culture that he always talks about from up north, and they have a certain way that they do church, and they have a certain way that they grew up, and a respect, and a Sabbath, and these kind of things. In Ireland, uh, yeah, we have potatoes. <laughs> I don't know. We have our own culture and our own way that we talk to one another. And, you know, pastors are always saying if, come, come, yeah, if someone comes into the office and he's, um, he kind of tends to rile them up or um, kind of say funny things, you know, and he always has to put the caveat, you know, he says, um, don't be offended, you know, uh, in Texas, this means we like you. <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. So we have all these different types of cultures, right? But um, 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 pastors are always trying to get us to have this culture here, this family culture, where, you know, um, <laughs> for a bad example, like, you know, the mafia, you know, they're real loyal to one another and things like that. And um, we ought to be, um, it ought to be a real special place when you're at church and that people, you know, have a lot of love and respect for one another, and um, you know that uh, you know the Bible says that, or Jesus said, in, obviously in the Bible that um, they should know 
that we are his disciples by the love that we have here. Not just, you know, when we're reaching out to other people, but like, you know, the, the, the connection that we have between one another. And that's something hard to teach or to, um, suppose you have to model it. Um, it's caught and not taught, I suppose, as they say. But that's, that's something biblical that we ought to have and that we ought to share with one another. That can be hard, <laughs> of course. But and this is something that Jesus did. I have a reference here. Um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Um, and I also have another scripture here. You're, you're in John. If you're in John, just turn back to John 13. This is the kind of dedication that Jesus had to his own. And these are people that he knew would betray him. You know, like we always say that Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter did betray Jesus also. He said, thou shalt deny me thrice. Okay? So um, Peter is claiming, or it's almost like, I don't know how convinced he is or whatever, but he's saying, like, literally, I'm gonna, I could go to prison, I'd go to prison for you. I'd also go on to death. I am, I am in lock, stock, and barrel. You know, I am for you. You know, and Jesus is like, hang on, whoa, you know. Before this whole night is over, you're going to deny me, you know. Even just to say deny me would be, you know, enough of a, a rebuke or a retort to, to Peter. But he says three times, you know. Um, it's crazy. And yet, you know, Jesus loves him. He doesn't hold it against him. You know, he's got a meal waiting for him. He's not ready, you know, with this, um, this big lecture or something when Peter swims from the boat to the shore or whatever after they've caught, you know, a Guinness World Record catch of fishes. <laughs> Um, he says, you know, here, yeah, you know, come and dine. And he's, he just loves him so much, and he's like, you know, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he's my sheep. <laughs> and he says it a couple of times, you know, Peter. You know the story. But um, he, he's always, you know, has a great loyalty and a, um, a tenderness for his own. And we ought to have that same um, as well, okay? And uh, that word of comfort, that he spoke on the cross, and that word of comfort that he has, it's still ongoing today, okay? Um, and I say that, you know, obviously Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. But um, I have a scripture here, Revelation 21. So do turn there, Revelation 21. Hope I'm not going too fast for you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, so there's the comfort that was back then. There's a comfort that... Jesus gives on an ongoing basis, okay? And then we see a comfort also in eternity future or in eternity in general in Revelation 21. It says here in God, in verse 4, sorry, Revelation 21, 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I mean, that's something to see, as it says in Psalms, but to meditate on like for a long time. You know, just try and make that, you know, your meditating scripture. Um, I had a book that had, you know, a daily devotion thing, and it had pullouts in the back, and it called them daily meds. <laughs> so your daily meditation or whatever, but it was, um, it was meditating as well. Um, just to think about the fact that there would be no more pain. <laughs> Ruth bit her tongue today on the way to, we were driving in the car, and she was eating something, and she bit her tongue good all, you know, and she just couldn't talk for, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. <laughs> Um, but just to think that there'd be no more pain, you know, it's like that you wouldn't cry over something like, and I think that that's weird because, you know, sometimes people get so emotional out of love and out of, you know, wow, you know, and, and think of what Jesus did. 
and not to kind of be broken like that. It's interesting. So um, it's interesting to think about, you know, what that actually means. Heaven is a, an unusual place, all right? Um, but we, we'll get used to it. <laughs> It'll be awesome. There's a lot of stuff that's confusing. You know, Ruth, I talk about Ruth too much now. Um, uh, you know, she always thinks it's weird that Jesus says when they challenge him about um, the woman who had a husband and he died and married the brother and he, he, he died and she married the other brother and he died and so on or whatever. Horrible story. And last of all, she died also. <laughs> and she didn't have a kid um, and all that kind of stuff. So that's why they were trying to um, raise up seed like it says in the Old Testament. And they're like, so whose uh, wife is she going to be? I'm like, seven. They all, you know, they're all had her to wife, you know. And, uh, you know, Jesus says, in heaven, you're going to be like the angels, and you're you know you're either given in marriage or you don't take someone in marriage. Um, so she was always like, does that mean we won't be married? You know that kind of thing. So all these unusual questions and things that people think about. She's like, I don't like that. No, whatever. We're going to have separate pensions, you know. <laughs> and we, we have these funny talks and stuff like that, you know. But um, you know, either way, even though we feel uncomfortable about it, maybe or something like that, you know, there's always a word of comfort that Jesus has for us, and you know, we can trust in Him. You know that. Um, It'll make sense, you know. In a, from a worldly sense, it doesn't make sense to us because we can't, we can't even understand how time wouldn't pass by, but you'd still go forwards and things happen. You know, it's just, it's just mind blowing, really. You know. Um, so Jesus has a word of comfort here. I'm probably a little bit off the point here. Um, and I, I don't know if, if any of you are struggling. Some people find it hard at Christmas time, you know. But the Bible says there is a blessing for those who mourn. You know, when you mourn now, in the future, you know. Um, God will give you laughter in here. There's a lot of things we could say, but um, I won't belabor the point too much. Um, but how does how does he bring comfort? Does it just as a feeling come to your heart? What do you think, Gavin? All right, let's go to John 14. The news buddy's seeking comfort here. Jesus has a word of comfort for everyone. So what am I doing, John 14? Here is a promise first, John 14. Um, some of these chapters are um, Jesus' teaching at length or whatever to his disciples before. Um, you know, all that stuff that I mentioned came to pass. Um, so John 14, uh, verse 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay? So this is another way Jesus saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Um, and he's telling his disciples here, same truth. And then if you scroll on down to um, verse 26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Okay? So the comfort comes through the Word. Okay? Jesus' words comfort us. So, you know, if you're looking for comfort, make sure you're in here. You're in your Bible. All right? Because that's where you'll find a source of comfort. Okay? And um, whether that word comes back to you in prayer, then it's the same source, the word of God. All right. Um, and then the comfort, you know, it says in Second Corinthians 1, I don't know if you know, it says the comfort wherewith Jesus comforts us, we should share that and give testimony to other people that they may find comfort too. I don't know if you found that, but that's in Second Corinthians 1. We might as well read it. Second Corinthians chapter 1.
verses 3 and 4 here, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You know, so, you know, if you, that's why people share a blessing or they share a testimony. They're not kind of, not supposed to be anyway. They're not supposed to be bragging and saying, God did this for me, you know, God got me a new car and he got me a new house and, you know, this kind of stuff. That's not how people are supposed to talk. But when you do, when the Lord does come through for you and come out of your situation, it is nice to share that because, um, you know, as I was saying, you know, with the mission stuff or whatever, it's nice to hear that the Lord is still working. You know, that kind of idea. We like to hear that. We know it, but it's lovely to hear it in our world and within our own realm. You know, people get starstruck when they meet celebrities and stuff. They're like, wow, they're actually real. They're not just on my phone or whatever. They're not on a poster on my wall. They're walking in front of me, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> they're real, like flesh and blood. And some people can just get totally starstruck and they can't even talk, you know, because they're like, it's weird when it's actually in your reality. You can see with your own eyes, you know. And in that sort of sense, when you're giving testimony, you give your testimony salvation, or you're talking about how the Lord's working in your life, it's bringing God into the situation, you know, and, and letting him be manifested, you know. And that's, that's real special. And that's, that's the kind of context or the foundation we should be bringing the Lord up, um, rather than maybe, you know, uh, we could do it in more corrupt ways, you know. Either way, the, the Lord says when he's being talked about, it's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Um, hopefully we're not scattering, but we're gathering. Um, so I'll move on from there. I just have one more story um, about comfort. We, we sang this morning, what a friend we have in Jesus, you know, but there's actually a whole story behind that that I've read. I haven't verified it, but this is what I've read. It says, um, this, this hymn was written by a young man for his mother who was ill. He tried to comfort and encourage her and intended the poem just for her. No one knew about the words of this beloved hymn until a neighbor was visiting and found it. So this guy, Joseph Scriven, was the guy who wrote it, was born in Ireland and he graduated from college and was engaged to a beautiful girl. On the eve of their wedding, the girl drowned. Overwhelmed with grief, he came to Canada and devoted his life to helping the underprivileged, giving them clothes and sharing his food. And if anyone could afford his service, he would not work for them. All right? So he was just there to minister, there to help. And he was doing what Jesus said, you know, if anyone can pay you back, you know, don't invite them to dinner, invite those that can't and never will, um, you know, because then you'll have a recompense from the Lord and the treasure in heaven, you know. So um, he, he obviously got comfort from the Lord and he was sharing it with his mom and um, he was still able to find such great comfort even through such horrible trials and, and things that went um, awry for him, you know. So, um, you know, the, the, just to encourage you all, the Lord has a word of comfort. And this is one of the, the top things that came up for him uh, on the cross. So, a statement of salvation. One to number three. Yeah. Luke 23. Luke 23. So, Luke 23, 43. So, he's just after talking to... Um, or he's in the middle of talking to... I think the thief on the cross. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt thou be with me in paradise. Okay? So, um, you know, again, I'm talking about the example of Jesus and his example of, you know, he had an honorable death, even though it was a dishonorable 
type of death. And, um, you know, some people can be overcome with pain or, um, or these kind of things. Um, I kind of withdraw in that sort of sense. Or, but Jesus, Jesus, you know, when he was dying on the cross, and, you know, you, I hope you've heard pastor's description of it, how, how, you know, it's really even hard to breathe and you had to, like, pull yourself up and your, your, the nerve endings, you know, from the nails in you and all that kind of stuff, it was all just so overwhelming. And then, um, obviously, he's dying, so the, the life force in his body is, is weakening, and he's still able to reconcile sinners to God when he's on the cross and in such a, a harrowing situation. It's just amazing, you know. When um, he's fulfilling his promise, you know, everything that Jesus said was true. And he said to him, that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And this guy came to him, he's on the cross. You know, you know, we would say sometimes maybe God might feel busy to some people or things like that, or they say that about him. Well, you know, this guy came and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he still was able to, to, um, um, to again, a word of comfort, but to give him hope, you know, and to let him know that um, God has seen his faith, you know, and um, has accepted it. Um, so it says here, and I'm reading from 1 John 5, and this is the record that God had given us to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So here, that's so many, you probably know that verse already. But, um, you know, you may know, and um, you can give a statement of salvation in that sort of sense. Um, and once you're in Christ, you can't lose it. You know, all those, those uh, these are all deep doctrines I'm just like blasting over or whatever, but, um, you know, nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You can find that in Romans 8, okay? So you and I have insurance or a statement from Jesus that, you know, once we believe the gospel and we've trusted in him, um, we can know that we have eternal life, basically because Jesus said so, okay? So, um, you know, um, Pastor always says about people, um, you know, you're, you're, you need to let the Lord work in their lives, and you can't force someone, you know, because if you have to badger them or something, he says, if you can persuade them into it, uh, you know, as a man or whatever, a man can persuade them out of it, you know. So it needs to be the Lord's work and only, only his doing, and then it will be marvelous in our eyes, okay. Um, so um, obviously I hope you all have the same assurance, you know, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, you know. So um, that's basically a really short point there, but then... Um, if, if I if I was on my deathbed and that kind of thing, I would like to be able to say that I could make a statement of salvation, you know, um, and reassure, you know, my family or whoever it is. And Jesus was able to obviously reach out and he was doing soul winning. It was a little different. But um, that's a little bit of what I thought about for, for that verse. So we're going a bit quicker now. An expression of pain. All right. So um, obviously you could delve way deeper into these things. You could probably write a book. There may be a book about it already, but um, this is just things that I saw when I was reading and studying them. So John chapter 19, we're back to John 19. All the turning. John 19, 28. So this is another statement of Jesus while he's on the cross, okay? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So um, I just have two little points here. 
obviously, you know, the story of the crucifixion continues. Um, we heard about the thief on the, the thief on the cross, and then um, he he's now knows that all things were now accomplished. Um, most of it was now accomplished. He's saying, "I thirst." This is another accomplishment of scripture or of prophecy. Um, but at this point, all the darkness has come over um, the earth for three hours. And um, here, I'll go to Luke 23 for that, sorry, just to kind of fill you in. Or maybe shortly before this point, sorry. I'm thinking about it out loud now. But Luke 23:44, I have written down here, says it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth. Okay? So um, whether it was just before the darkness came and he was all alone for those three hours, it's probably what I think is true. Um, but you kind of have to reconcile some of the verses together. Um, it was, I think it was after he spoke to um, the thief on the cross that some of these words here were mentioned. Um, this is the only place where it fits, I guess. And um, it, it's a, just basically an expression of, of pain. We've all been there, right? And not in the sense of where Jesus was, but an expression of pain that that wording, um, and uh, Jesus is unique, obviously, because <clears throat> he experienced the wrath of God, you know, on that cross for those three hours that nobody saw, nobody saw him, and um, um, he didn't go to hell, but he endured the torments of hell, as described in Luke 16, you know, when the, the, the rich man and Lazarus, if you've read that, the kind of torments, the kind of things that go on there. Um, not really nice to, to dwell on. But um, a lot of times, you know, people use, I was talking about people using loneliness as a weapon, you know, this morning, um, a solitary confinement in warfare. Um, and then um, my parents using a discipline and all that kind of stuff. But also, pain is also used, you know, people use these kind of, you know, have you heard of waterboarding or these kind of things have been in the paper or, um, over the last couple of years and things like that. And um, pain can be something that will, that will cause you to back down from your convictions and your principles. But um, the Lord, obviously, you know, he, he could have taken himself down from the cross at any point, if that's what he so chose, but he, he did not, you know. Um, you know, when pastors describing the crucifixion, he always says that Jesus laid down his hands and there was no, like, you know, obviously the thieves and guys, they would be like, you know, they don't, they're fighting against it, you know. But Jesus, he went to the cross. He was willing and he chose to do that. And um, I love that other scripture that's in, you know, um, when he went to Gethsemane, I mentioned that briefly at the start. Um, he says, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Um, and the Bible says, and he went a little further um, about a stone's throw away and he prayed there. But, um, you know, he always is able to go a little further than man could ever go, if you know what I mean by that. Um, he went a little further he was able to pray when, um, when the Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint, but they all fainted, as it were. And then he was able to, to lay down his life in that sort of sense. And even through the pain um, and through that, he was um, he kept his faculty and he, he wasn't giving up and he wasn't thinking it wasn't worth it or that you weren't worth it. He was thinking, you know, um, he wants to accomplish this. And that was the determination. And that's why they call it the passion of Christ. He was passionate about it. And um, there was no... There was no, um, you couldn't give in some other ways, I suppose, okay? Um, there's probably a lot you could say about pain, but I will make sure 
Eric said, it's six to seven tonight. You should come. <laughs> so it's closing in on that. So a cry of desolation. Um, so this kind of can be part and parcel of the, the last one, but there's a different angle from this. So remember I said that the, the sun was darkened, or the Bible said, and um, three hours Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross, okay? But it says here now, I'm in Matthew 27. Sorry, I didn't give you the scripture. I'm looking out here because I wrote down some stuff. But Matthew 27, verse 46. I know this is a lot, but it, I, I planned it for being meaty, right? Um, Matthew 27, 46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay, so not only was the pain one of the realities um, of what it took for Jesus to, to take our sins upon him, but um, this, this one could possibly be rated as worse. Um, this is the, you know, the words of Jesus as a man where God, um, you know, what Pastor's wording is, um, he turned his face on the Lord and, and you know he felt forsaken or he was that that communion and that closeness that he had was was separated and he said why have you forsaken me because um, you know Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin so God turned his back or he had no fellowship with unrighteousness so he distanced himself from from Jesus it's a pretty deep one there um, and uh, you know, for, for for anyone who comes upon, under the judgment of God, not only is there intense pain, obviously we mentioned Luke chapter 16 and the torments of hell, um, but also there's complete separation, you know. And this is this is one of the, the harbor realities of of not being saved, this eternal separation from the Lord. Depart from me, I never knew you. Okay? Um, so at that point, it, it's all said and done. You know, a lot of people believe that when they die, they'll get to talk to the Lord, they'll talk him out of whatever the Lord decides. They'll be like, ah, sure, blah, blah, this, or what about that, or look at this scientific theory, or this logical argument, or whatever. But the Bible says we won't say any of that. Our mouths will be stopped. As in, not that God will shut us up, or anything like that, anyone who's coming under judgment, but they'll just be gobsmacked in. You know, like Job was, when the Lord came in a whirlwind, and he was like, where were you? When blah, 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 you know, and they made the world and all the 40 questions, and Job had nothing to say whatsoever. And he was complaining for the last, what is it, 39, 38 chapters or whatever. All of a sudden, God comes along and he's like, you know, I'll put my hand in my mouth, I've I spoken too much already, you know, that kind of thing. What am I supposed to say to you? So that's the kind of thing that's going to happen, I believe. Um, and, and at that stage, it's a done deal. There's, there's not going to be any chance. There's no more hope for salvation, no more chances, no more opportunities to hear the gospel, no more soul winning, no more times enjoyed with those you love, no more possibility of receiving anything good, no more occasions for relief, comfort, encouragement, or joy, just desolation, loneliness, emptiness, misery, weeping and wailing, and gnashing of teeth forever. Um, obviously, that's why we have something called the good news. Um, no one needs to experience those things, and those things that even Jesus Christ the righteous went through. Because um, it says in Revelation 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, had prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. You know, And that's why we call him 
also not only the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So um, obviously you know the gospel. He experienced God's wrath and hell's desolation so that those who believe on him don't have to experience those things. And um, it's one of the reasons why we'll be singing his praises forevermore. There's a song in Revelation 5 as well. It says, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So, um, you know, the biggest thing about that is that that, that was, that, that pain and that desolation was, was for us. You know, and like Barabbas, it was switched out and Jesus took on him all of that stuff that we, we deserved and that was on our, we were appointed to that, that was on our schedule, you know, written down there. Um, and Jesus blotted it out in blood and instead, home in heaven and uh, joy forevermore in the presence of God and the holy angels. It's, that's why the next one is an affirmation of victory. Because once Jesus went through all that, even though he hadn't exactly given up the, given up the ghost yet, um, he had basically, it was, it was pretty much a done deal. You know, like those races where, um, uh, you know, the person is so far ahead, you know, it's just pretty much all they have to do is finish. Or when the soccer match is just totally like, you know, it's the 88 minute of a 90 minute match and they're 5 nil up, it's just like, I mean, what are the chances? You know, that kind of idea. Okay, so Jesus is kind of, in this sense, um, got an affirmation of victory. So this is really short. John 19 again, and in verse 30. So all it says is, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. All right? <laughs> so this, this, this is amazing. He completed the work that he was sent to earth to do. You know, there's nothing better than a job well done. And anything that you do to finish something, you know, trying to teach Connor to finish something. <laughs> All right. yeah. Kids are, are very, um, you know, there was, what's that um, animation called Up, you know, and they have this dog in it, and the dog's just totally, doesn't have any attention span whatsoever, you know, so he's in the middle of something, and he's like, whoa, you know, and he's like totally distracted. Connor was totally like that. Well, young kids are, I suppose, but, um, you know, I'd be talking to him, and I've managed to get like half my statement out, and already he's kind of like, whoa, you know, and he's just walking away, and that kind of thing. Um, Oh, what was my point there? But to finish something, <laughs> I'm getting carried away with all my stories, eh? um, is you know the satisfaction that's in that. So Jesus said it's finished. You know, imagine the feeling, the feeling of that. You know, when God made all the world in six days. You know, on the seventh, sat down and he rested. I think of Eric sitting there and having a cup of tea. You know, after a job well done. Right? <laughs> it's very relaxing. Okay, so um, he completed the work like a referee blowing the whistle in a soccer match or whatever, it's all over, all right? Once you cross the finish line, all the toil, all the struggle, all the drama, <laughs> everything is done, it's over, and it's all in the past, it's just a memory. Um, so once Jesus cried, it is finished, there was no more work to, that needed to be done to secure salvation. You know, and that was his, as I said, his life's work, his earthly ministry concluded, his task completed, his mission accomplished, his goal achieved, the law was fulfilled, the account was settled, the Father's will was done, and the gates of heaven were open, you know, for all of mankind. And um, what an amazing thought, okay? And now, 
you know, Paul gets to write, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. That's from Colossians 2. Okay? And then just the final point about that victory is, once the victory is won, it's, it's, um, it's enough. Well, it's enough. The cross is enough, right, to save us. But what I'm trying to get at is, um, let's say someone won the 100-meter gold medal in the Olympics, right, for, when, when is Olympics? 2020, Tokyo, isn't it? All right. That's future. I put the past Olympics in 2016. Where was that? I don't know. Whatever, I don't care. Um, once that medal is won, you can't win that medal also. It's done. Okay? And there's a lot of people that are trying to secure their own salvation and get their own victory. Do this by their own works. But it's old news. Jesus already accomplished that. He already won that. He already loosed the seals, as we said. And they're wasting their time because he has that trophy. <laughs> and... Um, uh, no one else can earn that, you know. So um, there's no more work that we can do. All, all, all we have to believe is that the cross was enough and that our job now is to, you know, rejoice evermore and lift up the Lord and let your light shine and, you know, um, glorify him on the earth while we have time here. And, um, yeah, you know, it says, verse th isn't that First Thessalonians 5, and rejoice evermore, and that's all that verse says, right? Two words, rejoice evermore. <laughs> that's awesome. And then... Finally, a prayer of resignation, and we'll finish up. Um, I'm back in Luke 23, and this is the final statement. I don't know why I have... Oh, no. Did I read it a little backwards? I might have given you the wrong scripture for victory. I'm sorry. You gave up the ghost, but I gave up the ghost. All right, yeah. It's um, a second part to the same thing. It's, I already told you he gave up the ghost, but there's another, another wording here, okay? In Luke 23, I'm sorry. Um, not to confuse y'all. Like you, yeah. That's not worth saying. Luke 23, 46. You're probably there before me. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, obviously he's saying, it is finished, right? Um, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Okay, so... There's, um, you know, they call that the harmony of the Gospels, where you put certain things together. It says one thing in one Gospel, it says another thing in another Gospel. What actually happened? But you can knit them together, and um, that's where you come up with um, the full superscription that it said in Latin and Hebrew and Greek above Jesus. You know, some say um, King of the Jews, and others say this is the King of the Jews, or whatever, but the full statement is, I forget, but, you know, this is, yeah, okay, but you can put it all together and you get a full statement then of what was actually written above Jesus on the cross. And this is another one where we think he might have just said it is finished, he gave up the ghost if we just read one gospel, but the other one also gives us, sheds a little bit more light and has a different angle. So um, he, we have an extra statement here. It says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Okay? So obviously we talked about him finishing everything that he set out to do. Jesus then commends his spirit to God and give up, gives up the ghost, okay? Um, so that's kind of where we get the idea, or we keep referring to the fact that you know, he gave up the ghost. He didn't stop. He didn't get his life taken from him, in a sense. He did everything he needed to do, and then he was like, okay, yeah, now, I can, now I can die or um, give my life fully or finally. Okay? Um, 
And, uh, you know, it, it, I suppose there's a couple of points I could make here, but maybe I'll just uh, skip over them. Uh, maybe some of the practical stuff. In light of all that Jesus has accomplished, are you living out the truth in your life that you will see Jesus someday? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, uh, I say prayer of resignation or whatever here, but, um, you know, are you resigned? Or Jonathan Edwards put it, resolved. Remember, he had all his statements that he was resolved to do all these, these things. If you've read anything about the life of Jonathan Edwards, um, he was determined to live a godly life and to honor the Lord Jesus. And he made all these statements like, like they were New Year's resolutions, but they're not. <laughs> um, and he wrote them down, resolved to, you know, um, uh, I can't even remember any of them now, you know, but he would, you know, things, biblical things like he'd always tell the truth and he would always, you know, try and spend time with the Lord every day in prayer and um, in the scriptures. And he made all these like promises to himself that he really was, um, didn't want to break. And um, he laid a great foundation, obviously, in the life of John and Edwards is an amazing thing to read if you haven't read it already. Um, but um, this is where Jesus is able to, you know, just hang up his hat and, and, and have done all things well, okay? And that's the challenge to us. And we're called to live by his example. Um, you know, and as I said earlier, that scripture in John, um, John 8, Jesus said, I do always those things that please him, that please the Father, okay? And then we need to be resigned as well to live for the Lord. Um, sometimes we struggle with that, or, you know, the Bible says that some people can make shipwreck of their faith, I guess, you know, different things like that. But, um, um, you know, when you're resigned, you're, you're in a come what may, or a, when people say here, hell or high water, a phrase or whatever, but um, you know, Job was determined, and there was no, um, like he, he went through so much, but that's why God brought him up because he says in Job two, what shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? You know, a lot of people want to just receive the good and not the evil or whatever. They want to get married and you know, um, uh, they want it for better, but they don't want it for worse. They want it for richer, but they don't want it for poorer. They're skipping over those stuff. They're not determined to hang in the course. And that's why, you know, there's a terrible rate of divorce and all this kind of stuff because people aren't meaning what they say and they aren't resigned to that or whatever, you know. But this is even so much more important than that, in a sense. This is living for the Lord. This is letting our light shine before men. This is um, being an ambassador for the Lord and uh, um, making him, magnifying him, making him look wonderful. You know, Nathan said, Nathan said of one of the... Uh, the Bible studies of every you can't magnify him too much or <laughs> think of it something along those lines. Um, so we just need to be resigned to trust God by faith, come what may. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know if, as a Christian, have you ever thought about, you know, um, what it'll be like to meet the Lord? <laughs> you know, um, sometimes it can be a scary thought. You wonder, you know. But um, right now, I know that the um, one of the most humbling things that I can do um, is to lay, you know, we, we talk about it, we sing about it, but lay all um, at Jesus' feet, no matter what. You know, I'm talking about resignation and being resolved. Um, that, that can be, that can be really hard, you know, and I, I, in my flesh, you know, I do worry what God has planned, um, you know, for, for me, for my family, you know, um, is it in God's will to, will to come home early? You, these are real thoughts that, that people have that are worry, you know, I, I don't know if you read about that family, the Dia family, that um, they, they just went on a holiday for Christmas, this African-British family. He was working in the church, but um, something, the woman mother blames the pool or whatever, but uh, 
three, the dad, the 16-year-old boy, and a nine-year-old girl drowned in this pool. It's not like a huge pool or anything like that. And um, she, you know, obviously she's just wondering. She's got, um, I think she's got um, just one kid left now or something. And she's got no husband, got no boy, and no, no other girl. Like it's all of that happens in an instant. Um, day before Christmas, I think it was. Um, when they're Christian, like or whatever, she was praying. I read that she was praying over the bodies that God might resurrect them and bring them back. You know, and it's harrowing. It's a you know, and you, it makes you wonder then, you know, you start asking all these why questions and things like that, you know. But, um, uh, you know, whether, you know, like Peter says, you know, <laughs> uh, it, Jesus says to him, like, um, um, when you're older, people are going to carry you where, do you, where you don't want to go. And then he, he doesn't want to hear that. And he's like, what about John, you know? <laughs> and he's like, oh, if I will, let's be carried to like home. What's that to you? Just serve me, you know? So, um, we do have to be willing just to go, you know, doesn't matter what's around, you know, I need to be focused on the Lord. I need to um, resolve that I'm going to serve him, be faithful, and stick through it, you know, and it's going to be tested. It is going to be tested. Um, but that's, that's where, you know, that's where the, um, the combination comes from then. If you stay faithful, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay? And um, obviously we have to keep all these Bible truths, so stay in your Bible, obviously. Um, but all these Bible truths in the front of our minds, you know, um, God says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, particularly of this family, you know, that, that were bereaved over Christmas. I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, you know. And all these other verses, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust, that we are dust, sorry. And in Psalm 136, so give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So these things are still true, you know. Whereas our logic sometimes would worry, you know. There's other verses I didn't bring up, but um, I remember one time I was worried about being taken home early. If you know what I mean by that, I remember mentioning it to Martin. And um, he brought me to a scripture that um, I still remember. It's in, I have the, the reference here. I still remember the phrase or whatever. But um, yeah, I'll I read it because this will be our last scripture then. We'll be done. John 17, 15. If you're already in John, I hope. Um, so this is Jesus praying to the Father, and um, praying for his disciples and things like that. And uh, obviously he says, Sanctify them to thy truth, thy word is truth. We know that one in John 17, 17, but this is in verse 15. And he says, I pray that thou shouldest, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Okay, so um, Martin was um, pointing out to me the phrase or whatever, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, you know, so... He's not going to, you know, Pastor says about the will of God and serving him, you know, that until you're done doing, uh, or maybe I guess until you're not willing to do it anymore, or <laughs> until you're done finishing what he set you to do, in a sense, God is going to, to, to keep you and preserve you and not let a hair fall from your head until what it is that you need to accomplish is done. And um, I think that's interesting because a lot of time we can feel like, you know, well, I blew that, <laughs> um, you know, that's what comes into my mind, at least, anyway. And, um, you know, but, but if we're still here, you know, that's what they say. Obviously, we still have something to do, someone we can encourage, something we need to learn, um, a job to do to press forward and to, to stay on the straight and narrow. So that's, that's just an encouragement here. Um, so these are seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And he was there for hours, but he knew he was dying, and he knew that um, he had... But a limited time. So he gave, first he prayed for forgiveness for 
he said, for his father, forgive them for they know what they do. And then he had a word of comfort. It was with uh, the Apostle John and his mom. Is there a two mom? <laughs> oh, well, anyway. A statement of salvation and expression of pain, a cry of desolation. That's when he said, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And then we have there, it is finished. And Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Um, so these are a little bit of thoughts from his seven sayings on the cross. And then I hope there was some scripture there for you. Or hopefully that encouraged you. And um, again, I can't say it often enough. Please pray for Pastor for his health. Because <laughs> um, what would we do without him? You know? um, and uh, we can just trust that the Lord is not going to take him out of the world. <laughs> so we just need to pray that he continues his job that he's been sent here to do. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. And we've been looking intently about um, uh, all that he accomplished, even just on the cross, Lord. So much. Such a rich life, Lord, that he lived here. Um, such glory and honor that he brought to you, Lord. And um, I just think it's just amazing, Lord. What an example that we should follow in his steps. Um, so I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, give us um, <laughs> just more of his spirit, Lord. I pray um, that you would help us, Lord, to be more Christ-like in what we think and do. I pray you'd help us, Lord, to give us understanding of your scriptures. And um, I thank you, Lord, for the comfort that you bring through the scriptures, how you also reprove rebuke and exhort and um, I thank you Lord that you do have long suffering with us too <laughs> and uh, I just thank you Lord for a special place you've given us Lord called church where we can come and meet together and um, exhort one another um, daily Lord while it's today I pray you'd help us um, Lord just to, to encourage one another not to discourage one another and um, I pray Lord um, also for Pastor Lord as you just heal him be with him love him and keep him we're so delighted Lord um, that you've given us um, him Lord what a gift. And I pray, Lord, you bless him, bless his family. And um, just heal him, Lord, and have him back up and running, full of energy again. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, just bless us as we move into the new year and um, equip us, Lord, for the work that you've set forth for us to do as well. Uh, I want to say we love you, Lord, and we're um, just excited, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd um, just help and use us, Lord, as an honorable, honorable vessels, Lord, to um, just reach out into your, um, this world here, Lord with your love and um, with your truth as well, Lord. So I pray that you would help us to be fruitful in the new year, whatever it is that's um, according to your will, Lord. I pray that you would, um, um, you would have that ability through us, Lord. So we just love you. I pray you bless us, Lord. Keep us safe as we go home. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.